Thanks for listening to the High Street Young Adults Podcast. For more information and how to get connected, check out highstreet.org slash youngadults. Guys, hey, good evening. Welcome to Young Adults. My name is Jared. I'm one of the leaders of the Young Adults group. And let me just say, I'm glad that you are here with us tonight. Um, If you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Jeremiah 17. Uh, That's where we're going to be this evening. Um, I want to ask a question. We're in in this series that we're talking about. Uh, Everybody has something to say. Who are you listening to? Um, Logan talked about that last week and said, uh, who gets to decide how you think? How do you decide the way that you think? Um, And I want to kind of expand on that. When he was talking last week, it just made me think a little bit more about who has the loudest voice in your life? Just think about that to yourself for a minute. Who has the loudest voice in your life? Who is it that when they speak, like I think about like my father, my grandfather, some of those influential people in my life, when they speak, I lean in and listen a little bit better. Um, I I love uh, those people in my life. They're really important to me. Um, When I think about communicating, thinking through um, what we're going to talk about tonight and uh, this, this topic, Um, listening to the people around you is really important. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But um, guys, I'm just, I'm excited for tonight. One, because uh, you guys are all here and it was an awesome worship band tonight. And one of my favorite things happened tonight, Kyle Kicker, who's the worship pastor here at High Street, is uh, incredible at all instruments, but he's the best at the drums and he got to do that tonight. It's just one of my favorite things to watch him uh, sit down and pick up the sticks and do what he can do because I can't clap and, and sing at the same time. Uh, I have to pick one, and he can do all of it. Um, I'm always trying to get him to move the drum set up to the front and lead from the drums. Uh, I think it would be incredible. Um, But they had to make some changes, and he got to drum tonight, and it was, I I love it. Um, I get to work here with Kyle pretty much every day, and he's probably one of my best friends in the world. Um, And I remember, we both worked about the same amount of time here, uh, about five years, and kind of came up through the ranks together, and it was really fun. But I can remember a couple years ago, they were cleaning out this closet, and uh, Kyle came in my office, and he held something up, and it was was this. It was a a walkie-talkie. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm 28 years old, I'm a grown man, I have two children in a minivan, um, and when I saw that he had a walkie-talkie and he was going to give one to me, I got very excited, okay? We are about three offices down from each other, uh, we both have email and cell phones, but something about seeing a walkie-talkie, and it wasn't even just the walkie-talkie, it was like it came with this cool earpiece, um, and it's not cool, it hurts my ear pretty bad. Um, I have really small ears, don't look at them. But I was, I was using this earpiece and like it, it's, not, it's not casual and it has one of these things that like this is where the microphone is down here. Um, but we were like talking into our wrists a lot, like we were secret service. There was nothing on our wrists. Uh, we just loved the, the, the fun of it. We broke out a lot of like uh, breaker, breaker one nines, a lot of niners, like it changed our vernacular quite a bit and we had a, a ton of fun with it. Um, and it lasted all of about quarter of a day before it was like, I'm a little tired of checking in with Kyle. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I love Kyle. We spend a ton of time together. But it was like, I'm tired of saying over every time I'm done using the walkie-talkie, okay? Um, that, that his voice in my life was pretty loud at that point, And neither of us were getting anything done because uh, we were checking in from our walkie-talkies. Um, but there's one voice in our lives that's the loudest. Um, it's yours. Your voice is the loudest in your life. 
There's no other person that you have constant communication with. Like, and maybe it's just me and I'm a little crazy, but like you, you are in constant communication with yourself. You constantly have an open dialogue going with not Kyle, a couple offices over, but yourself. Like it only took a little bit for me to go, that's enough. I just need to talk to myself. I can't talk to two people uh, every moment. But you talk to yourself all the time. There's an open dialogue. There's open communication. You are the filter that everything else comes through. There's an awesome book that talks about how there are going to be people that come in and out of your life, bosses, mentors, friends, people that you're close to, that you have to decide, like an audio engineer and someone that sits at a soundboard, whose voice gets to be loud and whose voice gets to be quiet. But no one can make that choice for you except for you. You have the loudest voice in your life. It's one person. It's not me. It's not Pastor Eddie. It's not even your best friend. You have the loudest voice in your life. And there's a prevailing thought that I think is somewhat recent. It has some new phrases to it, um, but it goes back for a long time. And I think it's an interesting one, and I think it's one that we kind of need to throw out into the light and say, what really is it? And it's this idea that, hey, you need to listen to your heart. Now, if you're like me, you think about that one song that like, I can't say the words, listen to your heart without humming it, right? Listen to your heart. Like, it's good. Don't get me wrong. And now if it's not stuck in your head, it's stuck in mine the rest of the night, okay? But like, it's a good thought. And it's, I think I've said it to people, hey, go where your heart leads you, right? There's another phrase that's pretty similar that sounds like, hey, you just, you live your truth. You do you. That really is arguing that, hey, you just do whatever it is that you decide is best. You do whatever it is that you have come across as the best idea for you. And I really think that it's not a, I don't think a lot of people mean destruction by it, but it's a dangerous and destructive phrase. It's a dangerous and destructive set of words that mean more to us than we even realize when we say it. That there's a lot of meaning packed in there. That we throw it in as like, ah, it just, hey, go where your heart leads you. Hey, speak your truth. I I can't step on your toes. I think it's even kind of moved into Christian culture a little bit because there's this idea that like, hey, the Holy Spirit's telling you to do something, but I can't be the Holy Spirit for you. So if the Holy Spirit leads you, then you do it. But if not, hey, I can't be the judge of you. And I've lived that life because you get get pushed and you hear and feel the Holy Spirit. When when you become a Christian, it says that the, the Spirit will come and live inside of you. And I think sometimes we get told, hey, be generous. Hey, tell that person about the goodness of God. Hey, even not just the positive, but negative. Hey, this is a thing that you need to stop in your life. And a lot of times, unless somebody's like, hey, there's that homeless guy over there. We should go give him some money. I'm like, I hear that in my heart. But if I don't verbalize it, it doesn't feel like something I've done wrong. If I don't let it come out of my lips, well, there's nothing really anybody can do about it because I'm just living my truth. I'm just, I'm just doing what comes natural, what comes right for me. But in all reality, what's happening is that I am sinning. I'm not doing what God wants because I'm listening to what he's telling me and I'm not doing it. And I think a lot of times we do that where we look at what scripture says and we look at what the word says and we go, ah, well, you just have to live your truth. You have to do what the Lord leads you. But I think that's a dangerous and destructive thing. And it's true because of what we read in Jeremiah 17, 9. If you would go ahead and take a look. In Jeremiah 17, 9, uh, the prophet Jeremiah is talking to uh, the, the people of Judah. 
And the people of Judah have walked away from God. It was a people that God was kind of ushering and, and, and caring for. And they've chosen to not walk with God. They've chosen to walk another way. And we'll look at a little bit bigger piece of scripture, but I want you to just read Jeremiah 17, 9. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful. When I think about deceit, there's not like, a, like an idea of deceit of like, well, he, he was a little bit deceitful, but he had a good meaning for it. No, what deceit is, is a bad action covered up by a good motive. It's just a bad action covered up by a good motive. And deceitful means that you have really just decided for yourself, hey, I'm just going to find a way to do what I really want to do and project it as a good thing. And I think this happens both in moments and in seasons. I think that it's deceitful in moments and in seasons where I can convince, my heart can convince myself of some, some terrible things, that I'll have seasons of disobedience from God because, well, I'm, my heart's been deceptive. My heart has deceived me. Um, I think we surprise ourselves with the deception of our hearts. Has anybody ever gotten scared or maybe some, gotten some bad news or some traumatic experience or something happened where maybe you expressed something and went, oh my word, I didn't even think that would happen. Like maybe it was, a, it was a word that you said that's not normally in your vocabulary. Maybe it was an emotion that you lashed out at something or someone and you went, man, I didn't even know that was inside of me. Why? Because the heart's deceitful. And it happens in seasons too where I think our heart will have a bad action when we know there's something that we need to be doing or there's something that we need to stop doing, but the heart says, hey, you can't this season. You're really busy. Hey, this is not the season for you to get involved with that. Actually, you just need to kind of sit by the, on the sidelines. And the heart can deceive you for not just in a moment, but in a season where you end up looking back going, man, I wasn't just doing bad things in a moment. I was doing bad things in a whole season. And it's not just covering up bad things, it's covering up evil. It's covering up things that you didn't even know you had in you. But I think that there's this idea that, that is packed into the statements that I used earlier, that if it's repetitive, if it's continual, if you have these thoughts of, hey, this is the way that you need to be, that we start to give credit and validity to those ideas. Because, well, if that's what's packed inside of me, that's what must be right. That must be who I really am. And then it becomes repetitive. We give it validity and then it becomes part of our identity. And we start to give credit to it over and over and say, well, that's part of who I am, so it's what I'm going to do. A, dece a deceitful heart forgives its own evil. That for me, I can look at the bad things I do and I go, okay, how do I need to project this? that I start forgiving myself, hey, you had a hard day, so responding that way is okay. Responding that way is not bad. Hey, I, I get you. Nobody gives you more grace than you. You understand your own motives. You understand and you go, okay, I, I don't think it was really that bad, but nothing will deceive you like your own heart. It says the heart is deceitful above all things. There's not a person or a thing in this world that will deceive you more than your own heart. And you know it. You know how you've lied to yourself. You know how you've done something for a season and look back and go, what was I doing? Well, the heart was deceiving you. It was covering up evil with a good motive. 
that our hearts are deceitful. The second thing that we see is that our hearts are desperately sick. We're ill without a cure. That there's this idea that, hey, you at your core, if you can just reach down into the depths of who you are and find your own truth, that you will be fulfilled and it will bring you the best life that you can possibly have. But in all reality, you're sick and we need help. And sickness is contagious. I don't know if you've ever been around someone that, that their sickness and their, the, the deception and the sickness of their heart has rubbed off on you. And maybe sometimes you see it and you were smart and you ran, but sometimes you get next to people and you go, he's got a good motive and their hearts deceived you as well. But it's contagious, and I think we see this all around because what is our culture, what are our governments, what are police here to do? They're to stop people from chasing down the deepest part of their desires freely. Because if everyone did that, the world would be a terrifying place. I think the last place that I would want to live is the place where everyone's desires were fulfilled immediately. That's terrifying. And some of them would be good, probably. But I think some of those things that our hearts surprise us, that we could just fulfill? No, that would be awful. Why? Because we're sick. Our hearts are desperately, desperately sick. Um, and we'll find a way. Um, I have a two-year-old son. He's almost three. Uh, his name's Thatcher, and uh, he'll probably be in here in a little bit. But um, cute little guy, and he, he's just, he's so much fun right now. Um, but we drive by um, an Andy's on the way to church, and I think he's recently learned um, what Andy's really is, mostly because there's a 12-foot-tall uh, ice cream cone that spins out in front of Andy's, okay? Um, and when we passed Andy's, it was a couple weeks ago, I heard him do it for the first time. We're driving past Andy's, and we get right past it, and he goes, Dad, I have a good idea. I'm like, Okay. And I'm like, what's your good idea, buddy? He goes, Dad, I have a good idea. Okay, what's your good idea, buddy? He goes, Dad, what if we go get ice cream? And I was like, bud, you know what? (laughs) That is a good idea. But we were headed to a a friend's wedding rehearsal, and I said, bud, I don't think we have time right now. I think we're going to go to their wedding rehearsal, and and they might have some snacks there. He goes, do they have ice cream? I, I, I don't know. I doubt they have ice cream at their wedding rehearsal. And he goes, um, we get ice cream after. I have a good idea. We get ice cream after. He goes, oh, ooh, good idea, good idea. We watch a show, we eat ice cream. We're like, okay, bud, I got you. And now that's kind of his MO that he like, he'll stop and be like, okay, I have a good idea. I have a good idea. All good idea means is that he wants to watch a show and get ice cream. Okay, that's all it means. But you know what? That's a little microcosm of covering up an intention with a motive. Have a good idea. I want something, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. And initially, it's cute. Hey, Dad, I have a good idea. But you know what it ends with? Kicking and screaming because he didn't get his way. And I think a lot of times we may not kick and scream, but we'll do whatever it takes to get what we want. We will hide our desires deep down underneath the surface because we think, man, if I can just find a way to scratch that itch, if I can just find a way to receive what it is that I'm after, then I will be truly fulfilled. Then I will have life. Then I'll have the, the answers. Then I'll have purpose. And in all reality, sickness really breeds more sickness. It doesn't give, give us more life. The third thing, and this is, this is the part that, like, reading it, you go, what's, how, how, how is there hope after this? 
The third phrase in that verse is, who can know it? And you look at that and you, it sounds like this kind of terrible, hey, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's literally the worst. It's desperately sick, which oftentimes leads to death. Who can know it? And he's kind of arguing there like, hey, you can never really get to the bottom of the depths of evil in your heart. Guys, it's been a good night. We'll see you next time. Like that's not a fun thought to leave you with, right? But the thing that I love about this is that Jesus doesn't leave you hanging for very long. He doesn't leave you hanging with, hey, the heart is unbelievably, you will never reach the bottom of the, de- of the deception and the sickness in your heart. I have short attention span, so I appreciate the next verse. Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, this is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruits of his deeds. That he's the only one who really knows. He's the only one who sees you where you really are. And the truth about this is, is even this is, is even kind of a somber idea because he, he just mentioned how, hey, our hearts are evil and we cover it up. Above all things, we're deceptive. And we're desperately sick. But God knows the depth of your sickness. And guess what? I'll judge accordingly. Guys, it's been a good night. But no, that's the beauty of what God is. That's why we meet together because of God's goodness that he didn't leave us here in our sickness and in our brokenness that I think about Romans 5 where he talks about how at just the right time while you are in the middle of your sin Christ died for you that he gave his life for you why not because of any other reason but for his glory because he could to show us how good he really is that he stepped in and he took all the judgment and all the punishment, all the guilt and shame that we were deserved because of our sick and deceitful hearts and said, I'll take the fall. I'll take the punishment. And that's why he died on a cross. That's why he did what he did. And that's how you and I can rest and know that okay, I see that there's a depth in my heart of evil that I I don't know that it'll ever reach bottom, but God, who's rich in mercy because of his great love, loved us so that we didn't have to sit in that forever. That he gives us life and hope outside of it. Um, One of my favorite verses, because he wrote most of the New Testament, uh, is a guy named Paul, and he wrote a book to the the Roman church. Uh, And when he did, he wrote it in a way that that kind of, he he ping-pongs back and forth. And sometimes he'll explain uh, something in his own terms, and sometimes he'll explain it and be devil's advocate and say, no, this isn't the case. But in in Romans, he, he talks about this idea that we're talking about tonight, and he talks about it in very confusing but identifying terms. Let me read it to you. In Romans 7, Paul writes this. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that in in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do want, that I do not want, is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, It is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. Hey, the things that I want to do, 
I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And, and you can kind of see the, the, the ping-ponging back and forth where he's going, I have these desires. I want to live a life that honors God, and I end up not doing them. And these things that I, the former life, the person that I used to be, I keep doing them, and I don't know why. I wish I didn't have to. And I felt that before. Even as a person who's saved, you, you can still wrestle with the person that you were before Christ and the person that he's making you into. And it's a battle that, that the enemy is not going to leave you alone in. But Paul has this, this kind of rocking back and forth between these ideas. But in, ver- in chapter 8, verse 1, he answers that question. And he doesn't answer it with, hey, one day I'll be perfect and I'll do all the right things. And one day my mind will stop thinking about bad things. And one day my deception will stop. He answers it this way in chapter 8, verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The beauty of God is that he meets you right where you are. That maybe you walked in here tonight having done the worst thing that you've ever done today. And God doesn't look at you and say, hey, you need to figure things out and then come to me. No, that's not what our God does. He meets you right where you're at and says, if you're found in me, if you are, the the idea there is that you're hidden in him that your life is surrounded by him because of his goodness and how much he cares for you and how much he covers you. And he says, hey, there's no condemnation if you're found in Christ because of his goodness, because of the way that Jesus died for us when we least deserved it. And that gift is offered to you today. We're going to talk about that more in just uh, another minute. But if that's you, I want you to sit and wrestle with it. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Because I think that there's a lot more packed into this verse in Jeremiah that we have to think about. If you flip back over to Jeremiah 17, this is what the verse right before chapter 9 says. In in 5 through 8, this is how he starts off. It says, this says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert who shall not see any good come. I don't know about you, but sometimes, even just being a Christian and trying to do things the way that God wants, you look at people who maybe don't live that way, and you go, man, it would just be easier to just do things however I want. But he argues here, he goes, no, 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 no. That person is a dying plant in the desert who will not see any good come. See, in God's economy, the good things that our world offers, that promotes and says, hey, you have to have these things, God looks at and goes, that's not any good. Not because those things are, 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 it's just because God has so much good planned for you. Stepping away from that for anything else, God goes, you're missing out. You're missing out on so much of the goodness that I have planned for you. He's like a shrub in the desert who shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places in the wilderness, in an uninhabited land. And this is where he turns the page. He says, hey, it's like a, like a, like a plant dying in the wilderness, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, 
whose trust is the Lord, that all of his trust is God's, that even when he doesn't have trust of his own, God is his trust. Listen to what he says he's like. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Listen, there are gonna be seasons that stretch you. There are gonna be seasons that squeeze you. And that's what they always say, that hey, when you're squeezed, what's inside really comes out, right? And that's when you have those reactions of, man, I, I, I say you, I have the reactions. I'll get angry. I'll say something that I regret. I'll do something in haste that I'll end up looking back at and wondering why I did. He says, hey, even in seasons where you're being stretched, even in seasons where you're being squeezed, your leaves can be green and you can have fruit. How? Why? How how do you get there? Why? It's because of how close you're planted in proximity to the living water. That's it. It's not because that tree is so good. He didn't say, hey, man, oak trees, they've got it figured out. They're doing it right. No, he says, hey, tree planted by water. That tree didn't decide, that acorn didn't roll a little farther and go, I'm gonna try to get next to the water. It didn't figure it out. That tree was planted either by God or a person next to water. Let me tell you that our our hope for a life filled with fruit, our hope of a life that's lived most abundant is gonna directly correlate to our proximity to the living water. And I think about that story that, that, that Jesus used that phrase of the woman at the well. That this woman was, was there at a time that no other, other person would have been there so that she didn't have to face the shame of the way that she had lived. And Jesus meets her there and she, he starts asking her some questions and the truth about her life kind of comes out. And he tells her, hey, I've got a water that you can drink that you will never go thirsty. And she is confused and she says, why? How how do you do that? And he says, you believe in me. You trust me. Let me ask you, what is it in your life that you're not trusting God for? What is it in your life that you're trying to do on your own, but it feels like you're a plant in a desert? And when when in reality, what God has for you is is a life of abundance, of fruit that God has for you. What's that thing in your life? I have some some practical things that I want you to think about. Um, If our life is gonna be somewhat determined by our proximity to the fruit, I want you, or to to the living water, I want you to ask yourself, What's your closeness with God look like? That's why we talk about spiritual disciplines here. Some of those spiritual disciplines you might look at and go, why is fasting important? Why is praying important? Why is giving important? Why? Because sometimes you go, man, I make a hundred bucks a week. What good is giving something back to God going to do? Well, yeah, God can do whatever he wants with money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He controls everything. What good is 10 bucks a week going to do? Well, I'm convinced that sometimes God is going to, through giving, through some of those things, do something in your heart. Then when you think about fasting and you go, I've never fasted before, I don't really get it, or I've done it and it doesn't really do anything for me. What's the purpose of fasting? Well, I remember the first time that I fasted, 
And the person who was kind of walking me through it told me, hey, you're going to feel some hunger pains. And when you do, that's just a reminder that you need God more than you need food. So it was a reminder constantly all day while I was going through that to go, man, I need God a lot because I'm hungry. This is rough. And God, while I was looking for an answer about a thing, I realized I just need God. And when we think that God shows up in prayer, God shows up through prayer in your life. God works on you through prayer. God shows you who he is through his word. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you about one of the things that's been most transformational in my life in the last couple of years. Um, th- this is a thing that, that uh, we're supposed to hide God's word in our hearts so we might not sin against God. And I, I, that voice in my head that we talked about earlier, that I was convincing myself of all the same things over and over. It's the same eight to 10 things over and over and over and over. And I listened to uh, a pastor named Craig Rochelle that pastors Life Church. And he had this thing he calls words to live by. And he, he said that he had the same thing, that he had these same thoughts that were dominating his thoughts all the time, over and over. These same insecurities that kept popping up, time after time after time after time. And he was like, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying to do what I can, but it's not really working. And he was going, I, I needed to find a way that I could internalize and know God's word in a way that directly attacks the things that I struggle with the most. So what he did, and this is one of the hardest exercises I've ever done, but I got a notebook. It wasn't this one because I uh, sent the other one through a washer and dryer. Um, But I got a book that was just like this, and on one side of a page, I wrote down those thoughts that constantly dominated my thoughts. You're not good enough. It's going to come out who you really are, that you're just a sinful person, that you're not a good husband, that you'll never be a good father, that you're stingy. All these thoughts, and I'm writing them down, and that's, that's an exercise that, that it's a heart check, okay? I'll just tell you. And then he said over the next couple weeks, he would have that open, and he would just leave it next to his Bible as he would do his, his morning reading. And as he came across a piece of God's word that directly attacked one of those things, he would go, I'm going to write that down. And he wrote down one of those scriptures directly across the page from that insecurity. And he said over time, that filled up. And you know what I did? I ripped the, the second half off and I kept that. And I started to repeat those scriptures, those words back to myself constantly because those were a direct answer to the lies that I'm telling myself. So instead of thinking, man, this is a sin that that dominates me and I don't think I'll ever win in this area, he started saying, no, I, I will take every thought captive and I'll align it with God's perspective because that's what this verse tells me to do. And he started saying, well, well, okay, well, I'm still the same bad person. I'll never be someone different. And in 2 Corinthians, it says that for those that are found in Christ, they're a new creation. The old has gone away. Behold, the new has come. And he started to repeat these things to himself. And he started to say, that's what would dominate the thoughts of my mind. So that when one of these securities would, insecurities would pop up, ah, I have an answer to that. It's God's word. That can you imagine what, what your life would look like if, if you started matching the insecurities and the things that dominated your thoughts and your mind with, no, God's word says this. This is the truth. This is the answer. This is what gives life. This is what gives me purpose. This is it. Can you imagine? And then I remember doing it for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and then I remember doing it and showing a group of guys that I was meeting with in a group and 
one, it was hard because I was like, hey guys, these are all my insecurities. Isn't that cool? But then it was like, hey, I need you to ask me if I'm reminding myself about this. Something changes when we do things together. My mind got blown a couple of years ago. I always used John 1.9 as your, your spiritual bar of soap. If you confess your sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. That God will forgive you, make you right with him. But in James 5.16, it talks about how if you confess your sins to one another, you'll be healed. That a lot of times I think we wonder, man, I've confessed my sins to God, but I don't feel any different. Things horizontally are not changing. But James says, hey, if we do this together, you'll start to see healing. That even just verbalizing some things for me, like, man, I'm going to have to actually own this. I said it. I'm going to have to actually do it. Then in a couple of weeks, we'll have a chance to join groups actually next week. That this can be one of the most transformational things for in the life of a believer. Because why? Because you're actually living it out with people. You're talking about it. You're getting it off the page and into real life. That if that's you and you're saying, I've been doing this alone and, and things have just been, I've been losing over and over and over and I need someone to help. Man, grab a connection card and say, I want to be in a group and you'll, you'll be a leg up on everybody else. But those are the things that, that's how you change the way that you talk to yourself. That's how we start to infuse God's word into our minds. Hey, would you bow your head? Thank mm-hmm. you.